Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode is Rag and Bone Man. It's a great chat. And uh, and we kind of messed with the format a little bit for this one. And uh, we had to kind of sort of rush it through a little bit to uh, just because there was bits and pieces happening. And and I got the message saying, can we jump on it and and, and record? So uh, I've kind of swerved away from some of the song choices and just gone in on all the, the kind of usual stuff and, you know, and discussed Rory's career and influences and, and, and you know, creative journey. But uh, I've, I've swerved a couple of the, the, the song choices just because I didn't particularly want to sort of put him on the spot to, to answer the questions, uh, you know, when we had to kind of sort of jump on the, the recording, you know, uh, you know, quite quickly. Um, but trust me, it's a wonderful chat, this one. And before we get on with it, um, just a big thank you to Scroobius Pip uh, and all my brothers and sisters at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, a big thanks to 76 for producing this. Um, and this, if this is your first time listening to uh, Off The Beaten Track podcast, once you finish listening to um, this chat with, with Rory, um, go and have a look in the archives because you can, you can hear me chatting to, oh gosh, Public Enemy, uh, James Lavelle, uh, Melanie C, Deftones, uh, you know, actors such as Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington. There's, there's just a real kind of cross-section of of uh, of artists and and some great stories of of creative journeys so yeah go and have a, a rummage in the archives when you get to the end of uh this chat with rory um and also if you want to support the podcast in any way this is a labor of love this podcast i do have an accompanying patreon page and and over on there i put up four radio shows each week where you know I have uh, lots of records playing and, and, and chat about them and put up some video episodes and such and there's there's loads of content over there um Okay, so um, let's get on with the episode, and uh, and I want you to enjoy this one. Also, just quickly, all of the stuff I've just mentioned, you can find out about all of that at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I know why you're here. Let's get it going. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with a wonderful rag and bone man. Listen up. I've only got another new sponsor, Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label, and... 
if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. Sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom, Rag and Bone Man. Hello. Hello, mate. It's uh, it's nice that you give up your time today. It's uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this, man. I want to talk records and I want to talk about your your journey to date. Um, but before we do any of that, I yep. just kind of want to get your thoughts on on 2020 and you know how you found that. You know how you've dealt with that in your head yourself, and also how have you found it as a creative? Well, as a creative, like to be honest. I've my my whole creative process with this this album that's coming up all happened beforehand. So the I mean we basically went out to, we went out I was in Tennessee um recording the the sort of last part of the album when all of this kicked off and we were stuck there for a couple of weeks and it just it it didn't really feel any different like we didn't really know the magnitude of it what was going to happen we just knew we need to get it done and then get back home yeah so so in terms of that like all of that stuff was done and and i'm very much like when i'm when i'm working on a project and i've finished it i'm i i'm not generally like being creative in between um you know i've kind of i try i try and cut off from that sort of project so yeah it was kind of it kind of came not at a good time because there's no good time for a pandemic but um Luckily for us, we kind of we we just got in and got everything done in in, in time for lockdown, basically. You know, and, and in regards to, to to music and that, like I always like to sort of start the podcast with an introduction and and, and intros to music and things interest me. And and one of the things that I've noticed, and and you know, and I'm interested to get how it's affected you since you first you know started making music, you know, a fair few years ago. Now, the way that people listen to music uh, has probably changed from you know a myspace generation through to now everybody's streaming um and and you know people will cherry pick tracks from an album on itunes and and i'm just interested in how the, the listening habits of you know of, of, of the masses i guess um has affected how you approach making a record i think it's affected everyone a bit but for me I know that people listen to music differently now and they, and they, like you say, they sort of pick the tracks they like rather than a lot of people listening to full albums. But I still have a great belief in the album and I think, I think you have to have, have to try and have some faith in it where it's a bit difficult, but 
I still I still want people to listen to my album as a body of work. Absolutely. And that's really important to me. And like especially on this new album, I like I'm trying to, you know, I'm just trying to have a bit of faith that people will listen to it as a whole. Yeah. Whether they I don't know, but but there's a positive because you know, people don't listen to to music on CDs anymore. Um, but they do listen to vinyl. So that that's a positive because with a vinyl, very much like you're, you're not skipping three tracks all the time. Yeah. So there are then people out there that will buy your vinyl and you know they're listening to the whole record. So I, I, I take the positive from that, I think. Have you been pleased to see then like the, the kind of resurgence in, in, in record buying, you know, vinyl? Yeah, for sure. Because let's be honest, CD's a bit of a crappy format, isn't it? Yeah. Honest, it's always been a bit crappy. I remember, like, I remember being super young and my mum thinking, Oh, wow, we've got CDs and stuff. And I was like, Oh, cool. And you know, you know, you sort of remember people saying, Oh, they, you know, they're indestructible, they don't scratch and that. And yeah, that like, was bollocks. Snoop Dogg CD for like three days and it all get rid of track, so it's rubbish. Um, so like, yeah, tapes were cool and vinyl's cool, but the CDs were rubbish. And um, yeah, it's great that, that people are buying vinyl again. I remember sort of, I don't really look at sort of stats and stuff very much because I can't be asked with it, but looking at the, the sort of sales and, you know, the the pittance that you get from the, the streaming market, but then seeing this massive rise in, in vinyl sales and stuff, and, that, and that, that's, that's really great and makes you have a little bit more faith in, in people buying and I, I, I don't know if you've seen the, the recent series that's been on Sky Arts called Icon, and it's about like music photography. And uh, it's been really fascinating. And the one I saw last weekend was was about like album artwork. And, and as I was watching, I was thinking, yeah, that's that's one of the big losses that you know that you don't you didn't really get it with CDs either, to be honest. But when you get vinyl, you can just devour the record sleeve. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's a real piece of art. Yeah. Yeah, you you really like you really miss the sort of tactile thing of picking up a record and looking at looking at all the artwork and what they've done with the inlay and stuff and the actual record itself and and um, it's a process that I love as well, like especially when we get to the end of making a record and getting all those little bits done and and being involved in all of that stuff is I really like it and really enjoy it. And you, you, you touched on something then you, you said about your mum uh, and CDs and stuff. Like, was there always, like, music on at home growing up? Oh, yeah, yeah. From, from, from uh, you know, as far back as I can remember, really. Um, like, yeah, there was always music playing in the house. And, and we was always surrounded by musicians as well. So, you know, there's always people playing in the house as well. What, was there always instruments and stuff laying around indoors? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my dad... Um, was well, is still a guitarist and and plays most stringed instruments. So there was always like mandolins and banjos and guitars and stuff all around the house, you know. So um, yeah, we, we I was surrounded by it from from a pretty young age. You know? Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What sort of records are being played at home? Uh, I think... From a really young age, it was mainly a lot of folk music, to be honest. Um, bands like Fairport Convention, um, Oyster Band and Steel Ice Band and stuff like that, Planksty, uh, Christy Moore, you know. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. My mum was sort of heavily, heavily into folk music and psychedelic stuff or whatever. And um, Mild Man, probably the same, but maybe a bit more blues, like stuff like J.J. Kale and... Um, you know, John Mayo and, and uh, Blues Breakers and, you know, B.B. King, Muddy Waters, that kind of stuff. All right, well, let's let's keep it in the formative years. And I just want to talk about school, really. And uh, how was that for you? Oh, I was rubbish at school. <laughs> I mean, proper terrible. Like, when I was there, which wasn't very often, I, my, my head wasn't there, so. What did you yeah, like about school? Oh, there's not much I liked. I mean, I liked hanging around my mates, but um, I wasn't interested in... in I, I wasn't really interested in anything academic, to be honest. I liked messing about, playing rugby, and, you know, there's a few subjects, all right. I kind of like... In, in, I liked English a little bit, but anything like maths or science, or I just... I could not be asked of any of that. And then... And then music, obviously, I was I was pretty pretty interested in, but that was probably the only subject that I really had any sort of first thing to be. Was that encouraged? Sort of, but it wasn't encouraged to the point of you know. And I I, I like to say that if I was in that position, I would say to to a kid, you know, to try and encourage them to to make music a job and and to say that, it, that it's a possibility. And, and that was never said to me. It was never. I was never encouraged to the point of like, yeah, pursue music because that could be your career. Do you know what I mean? Did you know what you wanted to be when you were at school? Uh, not. I'm not really. I, I mean, I was more into like rap music when I was at school and jungle. To be honest, I wanted to be a jungle DJ or a jungle MC when I was at school. But yeah. did that feel like that was something that was attainable? Not really. It always sort of felt like it was always going to be a hobby, to be honest. Yeah. Was you a confident kid? Nah, not really. I sort of had, um, I was sort of one of them kids who had tough mates. <laughs> so, so like, I had, I, had this, I had this mate at school. Uh, his name was Damien. 
and he, he was the hard kid at school. You didn't mess with him. And he was my best mate from when I was about six. Damien's so, a hard kid's name, isn't it? Yeah, he was he, <laughs> he, he, he was a proper nut job at school as well. You didn't mess with him. And uh, he was my best mate, so no one messed around with me. So I was all right. I didn't have to be like the loud kid or the tough kid or anything because I just, I just you know, I had him by my side, so it was all right. But, I mean, you've... You know, you, you've chosen a career path that's, you know, famously difficult, you know, and, and to reach the levels of success that you've done, you know, is amazing. Um, do you Are you confident in what you do now? Yeah, I am. I'm confident in... I, I think the issue that I've had with confidence is because in, in, in my in former years, of, I don't know... I've sort of felt like maybe I didn't deserve it, but now, now, now I don't really feel like that anymore. I feel like I do deserve it. So, do you, st- um, do you still get don't, that? I don't really know why I felt like that, but I did. And I, I think, I think it came from like situations, like maybe social situations and stuff, where I was like, I don't know if I really fit in in this industry because, you know, I don't like. Um, I don't, I don't like sort of um, bougie parties and stuff, and I'm, I'm not into like rubbing shoulders with people. I don't really care about any of that stuff. I just want to get on stage and, and have it, really. That's about it. <laughs> you know. Um, so that certain, certain things have made me feel like uncomfortable at times. So, what like a kind of imposter syndrome type thing? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Just, um, but I don't really feel like that now. I don't because, yeah, I just, I just sort of do what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all, all the rest is, is is insignificant, really. What about drive, Rory? You're a pretty driven fella. Um, I'm driven. I'm driven by the want to be on stage. I'd say that's probably probably my my main thing. Uh, I mean, I want my I want my art to be the best it can be, and I guess. Yeah, I guess I am pretty driven. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I maybe I don't give myself enough credit for it, but yeah, I, I am kind of driven. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like to ask guests about kind of early memories of of, of, of record shops, and and I mean, do you actually remember the first record you bought? <sighs> yeah, I th- I do actually remember the first record I bought. It was uh, original Nutter by Sharfex. I mean, not many people choose a cool record for their first record they ever bought, but that's a pretty decent show, a de- decent tune there, mate. I remember there was this, um, there was this, I mean, it had probably been out for a while. I don't know when the actual record came out, maybe like 91 or 92, that sort of time. I remember there was a little record shop down in this precinct in the outfield, this little town I lived in. And um, I bought a CD of, I think it was Jungle Hits of 93 or something like that. I remember buying a, buying a CD and they had the record single of of Shirefx original that it's like UK Apache, yeah. and then uh, I didn't even have a record player to play it on. <laughs> Look cool though, right? <laughs> yeah, cool, yeah. <laughs> I remember trying to play it on. So I've still got it to this day. My mum had this um, this old wooden record player, and it's made by a company called Pi. It's P Y, and it's like a fifties record player and a valve thing. So you have to wait for it to heat up. I remember trying to play the Jungle record in it, and it's like it's the worst thing you've ever heard in your life because it, it can't take any bass or anything. So, <laughs> it just, 
horrible mess. Sorry for the interruption. It's just a super quick advert. The Signal is a platform for podcasters to launch a fully featured app onto the App Store and Google Play in just a matter of days. It allows you to monetize your podcast with in-app subscriptions and offer in exchange a whole world of features for your listeners, like exclusive episodes, ad-free versions of episodes, YouTube live streams, downloads, and much, much more. The Signal allows you to pull all your best content into one place that you control. No more trying to play the algorithm. Just connect directly with your audience and give them more of what they love. For just a small monthly cost and no contracts, you get your app into stores in days, not months. No big upfront development costs, no waiting months for beta versions, just all your content under your control. And even better, if you tell them Stu sent you, they will waive the £100 setup fee. So go to thesignal.app and take your podcast to the next level. Back to my podcast. As, as you got older and you got into sort of like hip hop and uh, and jungle and, and drum and bass and, and and stuff like that, how important did record shops become for you? And and also, I'll double load that question, Rory. And how important are record shops for you now? Um, I think a record shop for me, because uh, I'm not like I'm not a massive collector. I do have a lot of vinyl, but. I'm not a DJ of any kind. I can't mix the photography, but um, I think for me, like vinyl shops, record shops were like good for just meeting people. Yeah, yeah, completely. Going when I sort of first moved to Brighton about eleven, about 12, 12 or thirteen years ago, and like I don't think I would have met the people that I ended up working with if it wasn't for those record shops. So I remember going um, Resident Records or Round the Records and in, in Brighton. Um, Rare Kind Records um, my friend Ewan runs and um, I wouldn't have found out about things like Slip Jam which was like the, the monthly like hip hop open mic night and um, stuff like beer and rap so they're really important for that more than the actual records and more just meeting people you know Did you find you'd say that that kind of community element of, uh, of what you discovered there in Brighton was pivotal to what you've done yeah, definitely, 100%. Yeah, because I met everybody, you know, from the early days of, of um, getting together with the boys in Rum Committee, I would have never met any of them if it wasn't for Rare Crime Records or Slip Jam. So, yeah, definitely. I guess when you get to Brighton, um, there's no shortage of kind of clubs and stuff. I know you said you don't like, you know, kind of boozy gatherings, but as a, as a younger lad... Um, was clubbing something that was on the radar? Yeah, sort of. Actually, I, I mean, I, I got into it really early because I had a lot of older friends that were into jungle. And I don't, I've never really been into like house music or, or garage, really, but jungle and drama bass was our thing. And I, I went to my first rave at Stratford Rex on the, on the Mile End Road, and I think I was 14 first went to that. I was about a year 2000. I, was, I went to a rave when I was 14 and then I got the bug to go raving and um, and like just went all the time until I was about probably about 21 and then I'd had enough of it after that. <laughs> what did you get from that first night? Uh, apart from uh, 
largent pupils and uh, <laughs> a, a headache in the morning. Um, just like, just like, wow, like everybody together having a, having an amazing time to this music, this like sometimes quite aggressive, but like proper euphoric and um, sort of driven by reggae samples and fucking massive bass lines. And everyone just having a mad time together. I guess, you know, as far as like raving goes, I mean, that 2000 was late. I mean, you know, Jungle and stuff's been going since the early 90s, since since like Goldie started it all. But, um, but you know, yeah, you can't really describe the feeling when you first, when you first, when you've experienced your first rave, man. If you, if you was to, you know, if I was to say, right, shut your eyes and have a think, what would be the first, what would be the song that would just, if you thought about them times, what song would kind of do you set soundtracks it for you? What is the tune? Oh, there's one. What did they actually call it? The Burial. Uh, it's by, I think it's Leviticus. It's got the big, bad, heavy sample in it. Yeah. That one, man. That's, I mean, come out years before that, but. That's that shit's amazing. It's still to me now. Yeah. Like, yeah. That that's probably the one. You said that you like that kind of element of coming together and community and and connection. You know, being in a crowd at a rave. I mean, you must stand there and perform and look down and know that that's what you're giving back now. How's that feel? Yeah, amazing. I remember the first time, like. Even even in a small venue, just looking down and seeing people, uh, uh, you know, singing your lyrics back to you, I'm thinking that's probably the greatest thing I've I've ever seen in my entire yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, and and like it doesn't really matter what scale it's on, because sometimes now the crowds are so big, it's quite hard to see that. You know, you're, you're looking down and there's a 25 foot gap between you yeah. and, and of the audience and stuff but the, the feeling doesn't doesn't get any smaller it's still that like still it still makes you feel that way doesn't matter how many things you've done do you know what I mean was there a moment when like you, you know I, I, I spent years having a go at trying to crack it in bands and stuff like in the 90s and stuff and and I've always just wondered when you hit some sort of threshold because it never come for me but I just was there ever a time after you played you know, however many gigs on, you know, well, I guess you'd call the sort of toilet circuit and, and club shows. And then was there a moment when you just thought, oh, fucking hell, this is, this is, you know, this is good. Like, you know, this, this feels like I've got over a, some sort of like, I've gone to another level with this where, you know, where you could probably think, oh, this, this could be a living. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the thing is about that is like the, the goals are sort of, goals are kind of different at different times. You know, I remember, I remember being in rum committee and thinking, oh, we're playing, we're supporting Pharaoh Monster tonight at the Concord 2. Yeah, I mean, that's good, right? And like, I, I, in my mind, that's like, I don't know how much bigger it's going to get. Yeah. Uh, and I'm playing to like a sold out Concord and everyone's going mental, it's sweaty and then Pharaoh Monster comes on. And like, it's the, it was one of the best feelings ever. Still to this day now, we still talk about it because it's incredible. But then like, going to play my own shows I remember a couple years after that like my my first sort of bigger London show selling out Scala and like 
I, I only had like one record out. Yeah. Um, we put it out for free. It was when we put Walls out, 2013, I think, and um, sold out Scarlet. And I think it's only like maybe 800,000 people in Scarlet or something. But that was a that was a big achievement. Yeah. It wasn't even on the radio or anything at that time. Not really. And um, And that was like... I probably could have stayed at that level and been fairly happy <laughs> and still made a living. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Cause you yeah, do yeah. make a living that way. I spent like sort of two years before that. And around that time traveled around doing festivals and it was a living for me. It was, it wasn't a great living, but it, it was, it was just about enough to, to feed myself and, and, yeah. and run a motor and that and get around. So, you know, but um, I think the biggest thing is when you go somewhere really far away from your home and you know something we went all the way to New Zealand and I remember thinking that my agent was mental because he put me in like a a mini sort of stadium and it was like 14,000 people or something and I was like you're you're mental there's no there's there's gonna turn over about 700 people in there it's gonna be awful and it sold out and we played out we played to a you know a crowd of like 13 14,000 people in New Zealand you're like that's that's really something. Yeah. When you kind of stroll off the stage, go and sit down, like what goes through your mind then? Do you have like a process where you have to kind of digest what's just happened and like and you know and and post like kind of tours and stuff? Like, do you feel a come down from it? Uh, I mean, sort of instantly getting off stage. I try to avoid those feelings altogether. Um, uh, yeah, because I try, you know, because I know some people get off stage and they like to spend a bit of time by themselves. But um, but I don't really. I, I I love my band and the people that I work with, so we always generally just have a little drink all together and stuff. And, and I think that is a really nice thing to do, and it helps everyone just to sort of process it in their own way. And and um, yeah, I'm, I'm not very good by myself anyway, so. Yeah, it's, it's much much more fun around the band and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, but in terms of after coming off like a big tour, that part can be a bit difficult because, especially if it's a mental one. I'm, I remember when everything went a bit crazy. We had 2018 year was like 47 festivals or something. I mean, that's that's insane, right? Yeah, no, I mean, my, my tour manager's like, I've never done more than, like, 44, 45. We've done, like, 47 festivals. And we were all over, like, we were, like, we were flinging from, like, Australia, Japan to, like, Canada to the US and doing some crazy schedule shit. And and uh, you just come off at the end and you're like, right, I'm back home in this little town in Sussex. What the fuck am I going to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at my little baby boy, like... Oh, it's just me and you for a bit, mate. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've 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 learned to deal with that a lot better now, though. I yeah. think um, I I realise my shortcomings and how uh, and, you know what goes wrong for me when I'm when I'm off tour and I'm I'm sort of you know like the devil makes work for idle hands and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you try and keep yourself busy with certain things, and and it's and it's all good. I like to ask guests um, about there. You know, you said back in in this, this tiny town in, in in Sussex, like if I had to ask you to pick a, an artist from from your home county, yeah, 
that that's been inspirational to you? Would you have one? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's not strictly from Brighton, but I mean, yeah, he he very much is from Brighton now. Is is a guy called Flip Tricks, and he started the label called High Focus Records, and. High Focus Records has been Brighton-based pretty much ever since it started. And um, he, he as, a, as a rapper, as an artist, is amazing. But I, I really... He's inspirational to me because he he was one of the first people to... I mean, I guess after sort of low-life records in, in, in the early 2000s, he's the first person to really do something incredible with like a UK hip-hop sound that wasn't like... It's not grime... It's not like drum and bass or anything. It really is like UK hip hop. And um, he signed some great people like Dirty Dyke and Jam Baxter and, and some great producers like Chemo and Ghost Town and just got this great branding together. He did, they did really good videos and put on these really great gigs and stuff. And it just became this like proper little following that he had. And the whole, the, and not, not just the single artist, but the but the whole label had this great following, and it just felt like something great was happening again in UK hip hop that hadn't happened since the early two thousands. And um, and he obviously signed me in the early days. I did two two projects with him, um, and he's still working at it now, and is still signing some great acts in Brighton. So that to me is is super inspirational, you know. Just as an artist, as a label owner. Do you know what? There's, there's a thread going through your answers, Rory. That it, you know, there seems to be a, a, a love of, of you know, a kind of community, and yeah. you know, and and pushing forward with with creativity. You know, enough of it, and I feel like um, everyone's like a bit more open to to um, to each other's ideas sometimes because I got a little bit downhearted um, about sort of. I like meeting other artists and talking to people, but a lot of the time being on festivals and stuff, a lot of people just didn't, didn't seem that friendly or just didn't really want to socialise and stuff. So um, I don't know, if you listen to this and you see me at a festival, come and have a beer and talk about it. <laughs> I like that shit. I enjoy it. And um, it seemed like a lot of people were just, oh, they, their managers like pushing them away into another room somewhere. It's like, you know, I had, a, I had this great moment at a festival in Belgium where, I was doing some graffiti on the wall and and Liam Gallagher come up behind me. I was like, I really like that. That's great. And we ended up having a chat together and a drink. And then it's like me and him and C6 Steve like went to watch another band together. It's like, you know, cool shit like that happens. And yeah. uh, it's, re- it's it's cool to like mix it with other artists and that. But you know, I understand some people just like to keep themselves to themselves. <laughs> Well, look, before we finish, Rory, I, I want to um, give you an opportunity to, uh, to to plug something other than, um, you know, your your music. And I, I want to give you an opportunity um, because I like to ask my guests to to, to use this as a, a platform to, to turn someone on to something new. And so I ask them to kind of sort of put a track out there that, that a lot of people probably haven't heard that you'd be like, check this out. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Oh, you put me right on the I'm spot. I'm sorry, mate. I know, but this is the one that I just think I like it when artists get to play DJ, and 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 it's a you know, it's the yeah. one where you find out all the interesting stuff because it's like people can go and just literally find something that they've never heard before. And I'm always interested in, in, in you know, what's on your stereos. Well, this is difficult. Uh, well, I, I'm going to, yeah, I know I'm kind of biased because he's my mate, but um, there's a rapper from North London called Jan Baxter. And um, I, I just personally think he's just like, super innovative innovative um and doesn't he's just madly poetic and i don't still don't understand his brain but um he's he's incredible and i think well you should really check out anything by him but there's this album called 30 fucking i'm terrible it's called mansion 38 the album right. it's called. and um yeah just get your head around it because it is it, it'll, it'll kind of screw with you a bit but once you listen to it uh, a couple of times, I think I think it's incredible. I do, I really do, and I don't, I don't really have anything to say about it. Well, as we get into the end of a, a pretty weird year, Rory, like, and let's just kind of hope that that twenty twenty one is going to be a year of kind of you know a lot of that kind of coming together that you've spoke about um, throughout this chat. Um, what are you looking forward to next year? And and let, let's just focus on it being kind of post-pandemic what are you looking forward to personally and what's happening professionally well I, i'm just really hoping to get back on stage man because that's the main thing that i've really missed is performing i i, I didn't know how much i would miss it but i really really do and it's and it's just starting to fuck with me now a little bit <laughs> at first i was like no i'm, I'm all right i'm all right and then the more time and the more time goes past, I know I, re- I really need it. It's a really yeah. important part of my life that I need. Otherwise, I'll start going nuts. But um, I've got, I, I mean, my, my album's pretty much finished. Um, we've still got a few decisions to make. I don't know exactly when it's coming out and stuff or what singles we're doing, but it is nearly done. And, and so it will come sometime next year. Um, and I'll be out on the road, just fucking fingers crossed. I hope so. Mate, can you imagine, like, whatever whatever band you go and see or whatever show you play, how good them first gigs after this whole year are going to be? What the crowd are going to give, what the artists are going to give, it's going to be fucking insane. Go to a fucking house rave. I don't care. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'll go out and enjoy whatever. I just want, yeah. Uh, Rory, I really appreciate your time today, man. It's been really nice talking tunes with you, mate. No worries at all. And, uh, and I wish you all the best for, for the new year and the new music, man. Thanks very much, brother. Stay safe, mate. Thanks, Rory. There you go. Rag and bone, man, ladies and gents. One absolute top fella. Um, yeah, it was, like I said at the beginning, we had to kind of jump on the 
on the chat sharpish. So um, I didn't want to just sort of thrust it upon Rory to start plucking songs from from the air. But I was obviously going to put a little bit of pressure on just so he could hype something that I think you like, hadn't heard about. So uh, I pushed it, pushed it a little at the end. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a lovely natter with um, a really, really top bloke and and got to just find out, you know, how this, you know, huge musician you know, how that, you know, how that journey becomes so huge. And, uh, and yeah, I thank him very much for his time. And I thank you lot for your time, uh, for listening and supporting off the beaten track. Um, go and have a look in the archives now and get stuck in. Cause there's 200 plus episodes with so many of your favorite musicians, DJs, producers, comedians, actors, artists, go and have a, go and have a rummage and, uh, and I'll see you next time. You can find out about everything. www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Take care, lovely people. See you later. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year, and they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music, and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat a